We are wrapping up our series called Below the Waterline. One of the most fun moments my bride and I have ever had was snorkeling in the Bahamas. I mean, it was so incredible because we didn't anticipate what we were going to see below the waterline. And so we kind of paddled out, had on our flippers, had on the snorkel gear, and pretty quick, we're making our way out into this little bay, and all of a sudden, I heard from my wife, she goes, Bob, I can't believe what's down there. And she looked up at me, and she said, Bob, a humongous stingray just swam by. And I looked down, and I'm like, oh my goodness, it's just a beautiful beast of the sea, just like vroom, vroom, vroom. How's that for a stingray right there? And then there, there were these colored fish that were just gorgeous, every which color in the palette that God has given us. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. Life of spiritual disciplines is like snorkeling. You get down below the waterline, and there is this celebration of unseen things that change everything. And that's what we've been looking at in this series. In our final Below the Waterline series, uh, message from this series today, our discipline is celebration. Now, when we think of celebration, we often don't think of that as necessarily spiritual discipline, but it's it. it is. The amount of time God calls the nation of Israel to sing, sing out. I love the story of Jehoshaphat who went out to war, and you know where he put the worship team? When Jehoshaphat went to war, come on, if you're a Moody student, you better know where they were. They were in the front. They were in the front. The warriors were behind. The worship team was the front. What do you think, Michaela? You ready to go to war up here, sister? <laughs> so the worship team was out front. And celebration is a discipline that when we go below the waterline, we see although the surface tension in our world today may be high, we can celebrate God because we see him below the waterline and he gives us great hope and encouragement. Yeah, you can do more of that around here. If you hear something that you think God's sparking in your heart, you can just cheer. It's an okay thing. I check with God, especially a message on celebration. Come on now. Celebration will at times manifest itself outwardly for sure. Buzzer beating buckets in a big basketball game can evoke serious celebration. A raise at work can rev up the celebration, right, guys and gals? And when a parent has, and when a parent has resigned themselves that D is for diploma, if you raised a kid, and you know, I had this, I had a good friend, as a matter of fact, <laughs> he, was a, he, he was just an incredible guy at Bible college. His dad was a super high-profile spiritual leader. I'm not going to share his name, but the son, I went up to Bill Barrows one day, his dad was Cliff Barrows, who led the choir for Billy Graham. I went up to Bill Barrows one day, and I said, Bill, how are studies going? And he said, Carl, D is for diploma. That was Bill Barrows. Neat guy. He runs a dude ranch now, a spiritual dude ranch for kids that are in recovery. He's just a great guy. But sometimes a parent who has resigned themselves to having a kid that D is for diploma gets an A on their report card, and you're like, hallelujah, there is a God. 
Celebration will at times manifest itself outwardly, but it flows from within. Have you ever noticed that? The celebration that we have doesn't just happen out here. It happens because something's going on inside here. And that's good. And, and that's what we want to talk about today because Scripture is loaded with evidence that from the lips that we praise God, we can actually have the impact on lost souls to surrender their lives to him. It's called worship evangelism. It happens all the time. Well, I want to just take a little sideways step here and tell you I am a high justice guy. And sometimes when people get their just desserts, I get fired up. Anyone else out there a high justice person with me? Most of you that have been transformed by the power of Christ, you love to be a high justice person. You want to see righteousness spring up. And sometimes you want to take righteousness under your own wing and say, we're going to make justice happen here. Slow down now. To my great shame, one Saturday morning about a decade ago, I was toiling over my Mac laptop. My son walked in. He said, Dad, what are you doing? I said, man, I'm flying away here. I just downloaded some virus protection for my Mac. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I got an alert here about a half an hour ago when I got up, said, your Mac has been attacked. And thankfully, they got a hold of me and told me, if you download this protection device, you will be spared from all these viruses. And Cabin said, Dad, you just spent 50 bucks to get a virus. So bummed out and humiliated. To this day, my kids use that on me. Hey, remember when you downloaded the virus for $50? (laughs) So pardon my celebration when I become a high justice guy. And all these internet scams and tax messages that we get, they drive us crazy, right? Anyone else get a little fired up when those guys get caught? Come on. So pardon this celebration because this week I got this text with my subsequent response. At the top, look at what it says here. We regret to inform you that your Netflix membership has been placed on hold due to issues with your billing information. Now I knew because I got burned 10 years ago. I knew it. And so I texted this guy back, LOL, I regret to inform you that your mom raised an idiot. (laughs) I, I did that. That is mine. That is my screenshot right there. Now come on, let's celebrate some justice. I didn't even delete it. I didn't report junk. I was just waiting to get into a battle with this guy. He never responded again. We can also celebrate the wrong stuff, can't we? We can find ourselves getting really fired up about stuff that might not fire up the heart of God. Chapel or a college, a newborn follower, Jesus still probably have cocaine residue working its way through my body. I'm a freshman at a Bible college in Portland, Oregon. God was doing such a radical work in my heart, but I could sniff something out one day when a chapel speaker came and he talked about this great ministry that they have. And by the way, not all chapel speakers 
are kind of hitting what we need to be celebrating dead on. We need to be alert to that. Don't become a cynic or a skeptic, especially if you're a Moody student. Don't do that. I've seen it undermine so many people uh, spiritually. I went to school with a lot of kids that made great claims about Jesus, and the vast majority of them are washouts now spiritually. So don't let cynicism get your heart, but always stay alert to what in the world do we celebrate. Now, remember this guy standing there. He's standing there in a very polyester suit and tie, and I wasn't really digging that too much. But then he said, I want to tell you about a guy that I reached for Jesus, and he had a picture pop up. And I'm like, whoa, what a great-looking guy. I mean, he had super long hair, and he had out a bandana. He looked like Dr. Jim Coakley. And he had a bandana around his head and all that. And he says, when I reach this guy, this is what he looks look like. But now look at what he looks like. And it was a it was a mini me of the guy speaking. And I'm like, give me the before shot, man. What he was trying to communicate was that, well, when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, this is what you look like. Let me give you a great danger here today that we're going to see in the text. We who are even in Christ can lull ourselves into celebrating the wrong stuff. We can put a hot commodity on things that God sees as low-value targets. We can find ourselves going to the wall for something that God says, I'm not going to the wall for that. And we can anticipate and even pray in ways that maybe aren't consistent with the Word of God. So let me put it to you this way. We celebrate what we value, no doubt about it. So getting our values aligned with God's means we're celebrating the right thing. Don't you want to celebrate the right stuff, guys? Don't you want to celebrate the stuff that makes heaven sing? Don't you want to celebrate those things that fires up God? Don't you want to celebrate the things that God says that's high value? Palm Sunday is the beginning of Holy Week. The triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem was so momentous, it's recorded in all four Gospels. But the value system of Israel was a few degrees off from God's value system and his plan. They wanted a Messiah, but they wanted a Messiah who was going to liberate them from Roman rule. They wanted a Messiah, but they want one who's going to stand on on the throne and say, I am here to rule. These are my kids. Don't mess with them anymore. And can you blame them? A culture that's been persecuted since the beginning of time. But getting our values aligned with God will give us things to celebrate truly. This morning I want to look with you at specifically what Jesus says. And I think this is very important. Jim Coakley has a new book out that is tremendous. But one of the emphases of his book is to help us have buddy, uh, Bible study, or buddies in the Bible, I guess, have Bible study habits that help us look at the Word of God sensibly. And one of the cool things that Jim features in his book is he says, who's stepping up to the mic? And Jesus said a lot of words. He spoke a lot of things. John said if all the things Jesus did were recorded, we couldn't hold them. 
So when he steps up to the mic, God inspired the apostles to write down what was most important. So it's vital for us to understand that what we're about to look at, Jesus didn't have six, seven, eight sentences in one day. <laughs> he probably had a lot of sentences. Like, sure is beautiful out today, isn't it? Talking about the weather. Maybe he talked with his disciples about what he had for breakfast. That's normal. And we sometimes make Jesus so unhuman, but he was very man and yet fully God at the same time. So what is it that Jesus values when he comes into the city of Jerusalem? The context of this passage as we find in the Gospel of John, I won't be there today, I'll be in the Gospel of Matthew, is that Jesus had just healed Lazarus. Word on the street is, we might have the Messiah brewing here. Now, not everybody was bought in. We don't know exactly how many people were in Jerusalem, but Passover's happening. There are sacrifices going on. The money changers are lit up. They are exchanging currency from lots of different regions that were coming in for this pilgrimage. Guesses range anywhere from 200,000 to the outreaching kind of outskirts of Flavius Josephus, first century historian that puts it at about 2 million people in Jerusalem. Trust me, I've been there a few times. 200,000 is a lot of people in that city. Half a million, a bundle. I'd put it somewhere between half million, 700,000 people possibly who are hunkered down for this incredible pilgrimage and they have come from all around. And Jesus rises early in the morning and the scene unfolds in Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Look at this. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, probably a little outcropping of homes just on the other side of Mount of Olives. Wouldn't you say, Jim, it's probably just on the, on the opposite of Jerusalem's side of the Mount of Olives. So when you're coming up out of Bethpage, you're going to come up onto the Mount of Olives, look down into the holy city, and it is epic. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, now these are red letter words, listen to what he says, go into the village in front of you and immediately you're going to find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. Whoo! This is an amazing thing. Jesus is saying, go get this donkey. Why? Verse 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. The prophet is Zechariah. Which, this is really cool. The prophet Zechariah in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, said these exact words. So the Messiah is fulfilling a prophecy. And by the way, in Zechariah 14, you're going to find the Mount of Olives is in Zechariah's prophecy again when Jesus will come back one day and that whole land is going to split wide open right on the Mount of Olives. The quote out of Zechariah 9.9 is, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. 
They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. Now, this is very important for you to note. They put down their cloaks, and the historical cultural reasoning behind this is that this was a sign of humility. They took their outer garments, which were a sign of some kind of clannish prestige. There would have been some, something that indicated what kind of class you came from. They're shining the class, and they're saying, we're laying it down. We got the Messiah here. And he sat on them. Verse 8, most of the crowd sp spread their cloaks on the ground. So get this feel now. He's coming off the Mount of Olives. He's riding on a donkey. Most of the crowd. Now this is what this indicates. Most doesn't mean all. So there's some skeptics and cynics that are going, I don't know, man. I, I don't know if I'm going to lay down my cloak for this man. But he rides on. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Somebody give me an amen here. Yeah. Hosanna in the highest. And imagine him riding down cloaks, palm branches, more than being waved, by the way. They would have been laid down on the ground as well. And there's a whole relationship back to a previous conquest and, and the riding warrior that I can't get into here except to say tradition had it in that time that cloaks and palm branches laid down meant there's a new sheriff in town. And his name is Jesus. And when he entered Jerusalem, verse 10, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? Who is this? The whole city didn't say it in unison, so the scuttlebutt around Jerusalem is, hey, that guy that healed Lazarus, this guy that's done all this stuff, who in the world is this? And the crowd said, the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now the temptation for the people here of Israel was to celebrate the coming king who was going to set himself up on an earthly throne Kick booty and taking names. That's what they were hoping for. But in the words of Jesus, to say to his disciples, go get the donkey as a fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9 was an unbelievable display of a value structure that we need to celebrate in our lives. Let me give it to you this way. Value and celebrate genuine humility that's the way to start holy week genuine humility not fake stuff not not vain empty words and platitudes and by the way could i remind us of what humility is jesus not only championed and put it on display he saw the opposite of humility as being pride and scripture is clear he resists the proud but gives grace to the humble Humble yourself under God's mighty hand and he will lift you up, 1 Peter 5. There is a constant call everywhere through Scripture to humble yourself. And one thing I'm so thrilled about, because I used to wrestle with this as a loud type A guy, I thought, I can't be a loud type A guy. You can't be a godly guy and be loud. Can you feel that with me a little bit? Because I was raised, one of the problems that we had at my Bible college for a season, and frankly, God saw some breakthrough even while I was there, is that 
You could say you wanted to go into missions. You could say you wanted to have a gift of administration. You could say you wanted to be a teacher. You could say you wanted to be a missionary. But don't say you wanted to be a spiritual leader. Because we had a wrong value system. We understood the word humility, but we didn't see that it could be manifest in leaders, even type A leaders. Now, I digress here for a moment to tell you that this right now. We see and have heard stories of leadership that has failed immensely, but I need you to know something. I know thousands. Could I use the Elijah moment here? Maybe 7,000 type A leaders that haven't bowed to a bale of pride. And I know you see so much that's going on around us, but know this, there's always a remnant, even of type A goober loud guys like me, who might be loud, but they can at the same time possess genuine humility of heart. So I want you to be careful with all the gifts in the body of Christ, including the gift of leadership, that you don't presuppose because they're loud, they must be arrogant. I've been loud and been arrogant, but I've been soft-spoken and been more arrogant. Be careful with this. Andrew Murray has two quotes, one I love to give here all the time, and I'll give it to you. Humility, he says, is the one virtue that gives birth to every other virtue. Murray nailed it. But he also said this, the absence of humility is sufficient explanation for every character defect you see in someone. Think about that. And I, I was cogitating on that. I'm like, is that right? And then I thought, it is. Because pride gets your tookie in a squisher no matter what personality you are. If you're looking for humility, and could I speak to you single women today? If you're looking for humility in a man, you're looking for the right thing, and it will always manifest itself as teachability. I need you to hear my heart. I want to grab up all you single women and single men too. You can come along, but we've got to talk to the ladies here a second. <laughs> and I just want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, Find a humble man. I'm going to have Dr. David Clark on this week. He wrote the book, Enough is Enough. You know what the book is about? It's about how to separate from a verbally and physically abusive husband or wife. You know what's amazing about this? It's selling like cordwood in fall. It's just selling, 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 selling because... There's so much pain in our culture today. I noticed something. I was talking to David Clark. I said, you don't have that many reviews of your book. He said, who wants to review the book? I said, that's exactly the point, isn't it? Who wants to say, oh, by the way, my name's Tina. I'm married to one of these dudes. And by the way, thanks for your help. No, but there's a silent scream of a soul, even in the church today, that is pained because we have verbal and physical abuse. Now, I don't want you to go here because sometimes you can superimpose things that don't exist. If you want a definition for what real abuse is, listen to Carl and Crew Mornings tomorrow because I'm going to have David Clark on. But it's real, and it happens. Look for humility, ladies. And it always 
is disguised with teachability. You ever heard of Gerardo Mejia? It's a terrific story. Gerardo Mejia found out about this guy this week. You know, I use the term, I use a lot of these crazy terms. Like, I think I just used Tookie in a squisher. And I'll use things like Rico Suave. Now, Rico Suave is a real character. And in 1990, Gerardo wrote a song about Rico Suave. And it was him. He was the original Rico Suave. The swashbuckling debonair cool guy. Before I give you the rest of the whole part of the cool story, here's Rico Suave right here. It's okay. I grabbed a picture that we could actually show here. I know his underbunders are sticking out there a little bit out the top of the jeans, and I, I get that. And there's, there's some of you, I see some of you men out there saying, that's what I look like without my T-shirt on, dear wife. <laughs> no lion in church this morning, okay? No lion. Now, this, this is Rico Suave right here. This is, some of you are like, why in the cat hair are you showing us this picture? I'll get there. This is really important. This guy was Mr. Playa. He was, in 1990, he came from Ecuador. And he came and he did this big recording deal. And in 1990, he did this song, Rico Suave. And it went, woo, way to the top of the charts. And you know what? tells a story now and he's willing to tell it anywhere that while he was married he cheated on his wife through a period of several years probably four to five hundred times Rico not so suave and then got a hold of his heart God did and Gerardo Mejia we'll take a look at him with his bride now this is Gerardo Mejia with his wife, Kathy. He is now the pastor of a thriving church in Ashland, Kentucky. And he wears a shirt when he preaches. <laughs> you know what his wife says about him? I used to be married to one cocky, cocksure guy, and now I'm married to a humble man. So maybe you aren't the most humble person. You can become one today. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Cambridge, I love what they say in a definition. The feeling or attitude is what humility is, that you have no special importance that makes you better than others. You're special in Christ. He's made you new. He's, when he ascended, he took captives captive, Ephesians 3, and scattered gifts to men, and the Holy Spirit distributes them and empowers them. You're gifted. You're awesome. But we're not better than the other consider others as more important than yourself you know one of the reasons that we're going to have a compelling message in the world today is that we got a world scrambling right now 
sometimes medicating their pain with all kinds of crazy substances. And that's all that is, by the way, is medicating pain. That's all that is. But they're climbing ladders, looking to get to the top, not realizing that in God's economy, it's the only way to live. The way up is down. Ask Rico Suave. God wants to change us, guys. Value and celebrate humility. I, I mean, be humble. I want to encourage you as your pastor, please, don't let, and I, and I know this now, because some of you are very quiet, soft-spoken, reserved, but in your heart, you put yourself above so many people. And it becomes a judgmental spirit. And pretty quick, you can find wrong things everywhere. Get in line, baby. Everything's broken. And the church ain't perfect. Humble. Humble. He got on a donkey, according to Zechariah 9, 9. And that's the way the king postured himself. Could somebody celebrate this with me this morning. Scripture goes on, the Matthew account in verse 12 through 13 of chapter 21. And Jesus entered the temple. And when he went into the temple, he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. This was a time, oh, this was a scene. And he overturned the tables of the money changers. Don't read on. Let me tell you, the table of the money changers, when I first went to Israel, I thought, I wonder what those tables look like. And then you start seeing the mass amount of weight that's all over around the temple area. And then if you go, ever go with Dr. Jim Coakley, he'll take you to an area that showed where the temple booze would have been and where those money changers would have been. You would have been a slab of stone so big that that stone wasn't light. Maybe hundreds of pounds. And Jesus came up to these hundreds of pounds of stone. I think I, I was thinking, oh, he's flipping over table, kind of like at a Baptist church fellowship hall table, one of those plastic jobbies. Whoop! No, we're talking stone! And he flipped that thing over. In the seats of those who sold pigeons, he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer but you make it a den of robbers. From the lips of Jesus, you want to celebrate something today, value and celebrate this, the ministry of prayer. You might say, well, Carl, that's not a really profound point. Oh, yes, it is. You want to, you want to value and celebrate something, celebrate when the Holy Spirit forces you to your knees through some heartache in your life. When you get done praying, get up off your knees, come to the Lord and go, God, in my own strength, in my own know-how, I don't humble myself enough for you to seek your face. Thank you for taking me down. i got to be clear with you guys. I've told you this before. My bride and I have seen two times when the church was experiencing revival. Let me be clear about revival. I used to wonder for years, and I didn't like to use the word revival because I saw churches that would advertise 
uh, revival this week. I, I wish it was that simple that we just scheduled it. Hey, we're going to have a revival this week. God's going to finally show up. 6 p.m., be there. Corey's going to be playing the keys, and the glory of God is going to fall down on us. No. You don't schedule revival, but revival is the right word. I used to use the word awakening for the church. It's not the right word. I had a revivalist explain this to me. And this is what he said. He said, Carl, biblically, only the church can be revived. It's kind of like the church of Laodicea. They had a, a thriving relationship with Jesus. They booted him out of the door. What does Jesus say? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll let me in, what did they need? You know what the church of Laodicea needed? Laodicea needed? They needed revival. So this is very important because I want you to, to get this now. Revival is not an event that we hold. It's an, an event that God takes hold of. And it is totally different. But Jesus knew when he walked into the temple that this wasn't going to happen by turning church into a little commerce industry. It ain't going to happen. Prayer is vital. There's some of you that still maybe question the vitality of prayer. My bride and I have seen two times when a church was experiencing revival. I think we're almost, and I want to be really encouraging with you today, I think we're almost on the outskirts of it here at 180 Chicago. I feel like we're nibbling right around the edges. And guess what? I'm not even worried about it. My bride and I walked in this morning because everything inside me, old Carl, old leader Carl is like, let's shoehorn that revival right in here. Whoop! Can't do it. It's a God thing comes apart by unity and commitment to what is most important and this is what Jesus was saying when he was looking at the money changers simply stated they had turned the house of God into a place of ritualistic perfunctory, perfunctory religion that had no power in it at all I need you to hear me did some things need to be exchanged probably was God against exchanging to get pigeons and other sacrifices? Probably not. But when prayer's been booted out because we're going through religious motions, we've got trouble. It's all due to prayer. You want to see your children revived? Let your heart be a house of prayer. You want to see your marriage restored? Let your heart be a house of prayer. You want to see a church catch fire? Bring prayer front and center, man. That's why we pray every Sunday morning here. From a quarter past nine to a quarter till ten. There have been times when I thought, oh, should we work on these songs a little bit more? Being really honest with you. That's my leader speaking in me. Oh, should we work on these transitions a little bit more? And it's like, no, the Holy Spirit tells me we're going to dance with whom we brung today, Carl. It's time to pray. We've got to pray. I've got a big announcement for you here today in the middle of my message. It got quiet. 
It even got quiet online. This is an amazing phenomenon right now. <laughs> I need you praying for your elders because we are in a momentous time for this church. God providentially allowed Ajit, Christopher, and myself to have a conversation with a man that God used powerfully to catalyze something that is going to have huge and exciting consequences for us as a church. And I can't tell you any more than that. As soon as I get more, and we have more, but as soon as I get green-lighted from the elder board to share with you what we believe we've heard from the Lord on distinctly, I will come to you and share it with you. All I want to tell you is lean into the South Loop like you never have before. As Corey told us when we were praying up here, spring has sprung. Plants are starting to come through the soil. And what used to be hard tilling, I believe God is going to soften here in this season. But God may, in fact, give us something out of here that is pretty extraordinary. And I'm right on the edge of saying too much, so I'm going to be quiet right now. <laughs> what a cruel thing your pastor does to you. But I do want you praying. Will you pray? Will you pray that we will humble ourselves under God's mighty hand and hear his voice? That we will pray more than we talk? Would you pray that way? No, I'm, I'm, I'm not just preaching right now. I'm asking. Will you pray that we pray more than we talk about big decisions? Please pray. There's another few words that are said in Matthew 21 by Jesus. Verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, hey, do you hear what these kids are saying? And Jesus said to them, Jesus' words, who has the microphone right now? Jesus has the microphone. Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise. Can I tell you? I've, I've, I've shared this in the past, but this is one of the coolest little passages of Scripture. I'm going so fast I didn't read the rest of it. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. All, uh, two of the four gospel accounts cite that he went on to Bethany. But he just, after he was wrapped up for this day, he went out. But this is what he left them with. The Greek word that is translated children here is yet again this place where the, it's the Greek word nepios. And I'm not big on when the Greek word says it. That's not what I like to do around here. But every now and then it's important. This Greek word nepios means one without words. It means he said to the religious elite, hey, these little ones, all they know is my power. Are you going to hold them back from singing praise here? All they know is what they know down here. All they know is what they see. You're the skeptic. You're the cynic. 
they're the real deal. Could I tell you? We need to be people who value and celebrate genuine humility, value and celebrate the ministry of prayer, and value and celebrate a childlike faith. Don't let your story grow cold. Don't be the church of Ephesus that became too sophisticated with their faith that they had so many things that Jesus applauded them for in Revelation. But he says, you've left your first love. You've over-sophisticated yourself out of what I value most. Repent and do the deeds you did at first. You know what the deeds were that they did at first? It was a hunger and a dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit for the way they functioned. They were applauded for it in the book of Ephesians. By the time we get to Revelation, he's saying, your faith has become mechanistic and you've lost the power of the Spirit. And the deeds they did at first were not deeds of self-righteousness. They were deeds of dependence and clinging to God for his mercy. Value and celebrate childlike faith. Could the Pharisees have chapter and verse these little kids under the table? You better believe they could have. Did they know a lot of stuff? They knew a lot of stuff. But Jesus is telling more than, and, and you know what, I'm, I just need to say this because I'm so grateful for PhDs in my life. My daughter's one, my dad's one, got an elder that's one, my right-hand man here at Jit Christopher, he's about to be one. But woe be it to any of us when we start worshiping the degrees, the knowledge, the history, the victories we've had in the past. It's new wine, baby. <sighs> My co-host, Ali Domerson, has something called Snapshot Testimony. I was thinking about childlike faith. I was blown away by this story. Her name's Trina. It's her most recent story of an interview, a little snippet we've been playing on our morning show. It's the most beautiful thing. The time this girl first called into our radio show, I was blown away. It was a Freedom Friday. We're talking about freedom in Christ stories. And she says, you know, I have a freedom story that's, it, it's, it's really different. She told our call screener in the he pounds in a few things into the text bar and I'm reading it and says, whoa, this looks interesting. I said, let's bring her on. She comes on and she says, you know, and she begins to pour out her heart about how she was married to another woman and they were loving God and opening the word and then she began to read the word a little more deeply and got convicted in her soul that she was living in sin and she divorced her wife and she says, I've been as responsible as I can be now, but God is giving me such spiritual victory. And I need to tell anyone out there that's struggling with lesbianism that our Jesus is alive and the tomb is empty. 
And it's that kind of childlike faith that can set a city on fire. It's been known to set some people on fire too. But eternity is worth it all. I got a turning point for you today, and I'm going to have the worship team come. I'm a little bit long here this morning, but if you'll please forgive me for going a few minutes over. I'm going to have the team come up. As I put this point up because every week, in true spirit of 180 Chicago, I try to give you something that I call a turning point. When you see humility, prayer, in childlike faith. Cheer like crazy. Cheer like crazy. I, I know, I know we see what's going on in our culture today, and I know what you think. I know you think we need Jesus to come back and open a can on this place. This place is a mess. Oh, we need, whoa, we need judgment begins in the house of God, and we, we got to get our act squared away because we got to fix all them. And God, I need you to hear me. He's the fixer. He fixed you in your brokenness and he can heal this world too. But if you want to get your values lined up with healthy celebration when you see humility, prayer, and childlike faith, cheer like crazy like crazy when you see it in your own heart go oh I, I can't believe it there's actually something good going on in here close your eyes you at home close your eyes Close your eyes wide for the purpose of focus. We're going to go back to we exalt the I want you in this moment, you at home, no matter where you are, you in South Africa, no matter where you are today, I want you to do business with a holy God who loves you enough to humble you. Who loves you enough to tell you that all the work you've been doing is great, but would you pray? Would you talk with me in the secret place? And if you listen closely, you'll hear the Spirit of God saying, Remember when you were so tender before me. Remember that childlike giddiness over a new song. Remember the tears you cried over my grace and power. Would you come back there again? Pray that way.